Last week, we looked at our purpose. And tonight, we're going to continue doing that. We're going to be looking at our purpose. Do you remember this? Oh, that's right. Do you remember I had something with me last week? What was it, Tassie? Was it a wrench? It was. I think I actually still have it in my bag. It was a wrench. Here it is. Here it is. It's a shifting wrench, an adjustable wrench, a shifting spanner. I call it my shifter. And remember, it was designed for a purpose, on purpose. Oh, you were going to say that too, weren't you? Well done for taking notes last week. And the purpose of this is the reason for which it exists. That's the purpose of it. It, it exists to undo nuts and bolts at various different sizes. It can go really, really small, but it can only go so far. And then I'll have to buy one of the bigger ones to get bigger bolts and nuts. But this one is designed for that. It's not designed to throw at somebody, although I could do it. It's not designed to hit things, although I could, it could function that way. And there's so many people out there that are living their lives and, and it's functioning. You know, you get up, you breathe, you eat food, you brush your teeth, put your makeup on, and you go to job, go to work, go to school. You have a life, you have a schedule, you've got friends, you've got social networks, you've got social media. We're functioning, but are we really functioning the way we're designed to function? Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, I realized that my life was being used as a hammer or a weapon when it should have been used as an adjustable spanner, if you get my drift. And it's only under that lordship of Jesus that we find that true purpose. Here's our purpose statement that our leadership team came up with. To glorify God by loving God and others, growing in our relationship with him, and declaring his truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's say it together. To glorify God by loving God and others, growing in our relationship with him, and declaring his truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a great purpose statement for a church. It's a great purpose statement for a person to live a life like that. Now, you remember last week, there, it, there we are, there's the picture, designed on purpose for a purpose. And there's so many people around us, friends, family, people we like, people we connect with, and uh, they're not living their lives with meaning and purpose. Why? Because identity flows into purpose. It's not until you know who you are or whose you are that you understand what you do or why you're here. So the big questions, who am I and why am I here? It really should be, whose am I and why did he come here? What, did, what do I need to do? No, it should be, what has Jesus done? And why is that important? And, how do, and once we understand those two things, that will help to shape our lives to live under the design that God has designed us for. We're created on purpose for a purpose. In our Bible reading tonight, I've got it up here. We're created to bring him praise and glory. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, this is Paul, by the way. 
This is Paul speaking about the Jews, okay? So the Old Testament kind of Jews, right? He says, in him, we were also chosen. We Jews were also chosen, having been predestined, in other words, thought about beforehand, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. All that means is God's got a plan. Nothing's going to thwart it. And you're in it. <laughs> in order that we, we Jews, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Right? So remember last week we looked at Isaiah. And really that promise there, that, that prophecy is towards the Jews. Created by God on purpose for a purpose to glorify God. But ultimately and generally, broadly, we are part of that as well because we are in, in Christ, part of God's family, created by him. Physically created by him on purpose. Every single person has been created to glorify God. We just don't understand our identity and our purpose. So many people are out there. They're all created to glorify God. They just don't know it yet. There's so many sons and daughters of God out there that still haven't found Jesus yet. All right? There was a time in your life and my life where we were like that too. But God in his mercy has come for us. And this is where Paul goes on to next, which I want to focus on more tonight. From verse 13 to 14 in the NIV, it says, And you also... You Gentiles, he's saying, you non-Jewish riffraff, okay? You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, message of truth, sorry, the message of truth, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Just stop there. What did you need to do? What have, what have you needed to do so far? You just needed to hear? right? You also, you're included. You're already included when you heard the message. You just heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then you believed. You were marked in him. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is, um, this is a letter written to a church in Ephesus, right? That's why it's called Ephesians, because like they, they, were, they were Ephesian people from Ephesus. And in that region was a lot of logging, a lot of logging. And this, um, this is a business transaction sort of idea here that Paul's writing here about the church, to the church. He's saying basically where they did the logging up in the hills, they would send the logs down the stream, right? But when, it, when, they, got, when they got felled, when they felled the trees, right, and the logs, the, the, the person who wanted that particular log would mark it a special way. And then they would, they'd mark each and every log that they wanted to have to build their building or whatever they were building. And they would then float those logs all the way down the stream until it came to the port area where then the, all, of those, all of those logs would be sorted according to the mark that was on them. Because the owner had already paid for the logs up in the forest. And now the logs come down the stream already paid for, already under the ownership of somebody, and they get to a certain situation where they get separated and put onto a, a boat and then, you know, shipped wherever they needed to go according to what the owner had. This is the concept Paul uses here. When you believed, when you believed, that's, that's where the transaction happened. 
You, you, you entered from, you came from a, a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light because you believed. You believed and you were marked in him, in Christ, right? He's put his mark on you. Now, I remember hearing someone say, or a song actually recently said, um, no weapon has ever left its mark on you, speaking of Jesus. And it's, it's incorrect. He had marks on his hands and he still has marks on his hands, right? And he has marked you and I with the Holy Spirit when we believe. You just have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for your sins and my, your, your sins alone, all right? And you marked with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, this seal is an amazing thing too. It's not a, or, 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 not, not, not that kind of seal, all right? Not a seal well. It's a seal like a king's ring would put a seal, uh, like a king's ring would have a special little sign on it or initials or something, a little picture specific to that king or that owner or that merchant. And he would put a bit of wax or something on a particular letter that was written in his name. And he would mark that wax with that symbol, with that insignia. So it was verifying that this particular thing was owned by this guy with the ring, right? So now, now when you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit, but sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit cannot leave you because he, he needs to be in you when you believe because your, whole, your spirit is not holy enough to get into heaven. And the way to get into heaven is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God loves us that much is that he knows, you know what? If they repent and believe, I have to give them my Holy Spirit. Otherwise they can't come to heaven. And it's a bonus because the Holy Spirit helps us out in life as well. He helps us out with things like patience and kindness and joy and love and faithfulness, and peace. But more than that, he, ha he is a, uh, a promised seal. So, and then in verse 14, he says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, this Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So here's that picture of the, the logs coming down the stream. The logs are owned by the, the man who, who marked those logs. And you are owned by God. He wants you. That's identity. He has a plan for you. He, he loves you. He doesn't want you to go somewhere else. He wants, he wants to be with you. He wants to save you from sin. He wants to give you salvation. And it's all God's doing. All you had to do was hear it and believe it. Amen. Is that good or what? So because of all this, God did all of this. God, God saved us. God did the, the body and the blood on the cross. He did it all so that you and I would praise him. That's what, that's what this means, to the praise of his glory. It means that we would praise his glory. We would praise him. And so our, our purpose statement as a church is to glorify God by loving God and loving others. But what does it mean to glorify 
God, by loving God and loving others. Well, hopefully I can help out with this. So first off, the word praise. The word praise here, this is straight out of one of my fun books that you probably don't understand any of this. But basically, the word praise is made up of two Greek words here in this spot, right? It is epi, which means on or fitting or appropriate or apt. It's, it's you know, it, it's apt. It's fitting. Um, and uh, ahinos which is praise. So it's not just the word praise. This is fitting praise. This is praise that is fitting for a particular situation. We would praise his glory. And, it's in, and notice this too. It's, it's an, praise is actually, it's, you know, when you think of the word praise, I think of, you know, Hillsong, music, you know, singing songs and that sort of thing. But this is not what, there's no mention of music here. There's no mention of um, jumping up and down. No, no mention of arms in the air. No, no mention of drums. Ooh. But there is the word enthusiastic. Because out of this word, epiahinos, we get this idea that it's properly fitting acknowledgement and appropriate commendation and recognition enthusiastically of what deserves that praise. So... The, the, the idea of recognition, in other words, when, when you're at a place where you see God, like you actually recognize that God is present in the situation, that's praise, right? So, um, Moses is uh, in, in, in Exodus 18. He's on the mountain and he, he spent, he's spent time with God in a tent from time to time and he's gone to see God and he's spoken with him and prayed and suffered and God's presence comes into the tent and all of that. But then Moses wants to be in God's presence on a mountain and he says to, to the Lord, he says, show me your glory. Okay, and so God comes along and he comes past this mountain and Moses has to turn around because he can't see God's glory face to face. And God says, I will make my goodness pass by you. Moses doesn't praise God in that situation. He's very afraid. The glory of God is present, but Moses doesn't praise God. Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, he is um, meeting up with Peter, borrowing his boat, teaching from the boat. And then Jesus sends Peter out a bit further and says, throw out your nets. Peter says, we've caught nothing all night. We've been fishing all night. We can't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll do it. Peter does it and he catches a whole lot of fish. He can't hold them all. He realizes that the person right next to him is some kind of amazing divine being. It's Jesus, obviously. He's right because he's God. But he, he falls straight on his face and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. They're both, these both Peter and Moses are both in the presence, a recognition of who God is. But in both accounts, it's, it's more fear than it is praise. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You see, this is where it comes to this word enthusiastic. It's an enthusiastic acknowledgement for what deserves praise. What deserves praise, by the way? A 
Yeah, well, him. But according to our according to our verse tonight, what deserves praise? To the praise of his glory. His glory deserves praise. His glory deserves praise, right? And so when it comes to praising God's glory, we must do it enthusiastically. Guess what the word enthusiastic is? It's a Greek word. And it, and it has the word thuz in it, which is God. So it's actually a God-given mentality and power, strength on the inside to acknowledge the one who deserves glory. You see, outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's impossible to praise God. It's impossible. The angels can praise God in heaven because they don't have any sin, right? They're in relationship with God. But ever since creation and sin entered into the world, it's been impossible for men and women to praise God, really praise God. Because they didn't have help from the inside because their spirits were not holy. All it brought was fear. All it brought was, was, was an acknowledgement of our own unholiness and unworthiness in front of him. But praise God, Jesus has come, right? And he has purchased us with his blood. He has showed us kindness simply because we heard the story of God's salvation and we believed it. And now we are his. So we praise him. We give him proper, fitting acknowledgement, an appropriate com commendation, enthusiastically acknowledging him. And it also suggests that it fits uh, is appropriate because it relates to God's will. It's, it's, it's God's will that everyone would praise him. It's God's will. We are designed, you are designed to praise God. You are designed to give him an enthusiastic acknowledgement for what he deserves. It's true. Right, this is his glory. This is the word glory, right? How are we doing, all right? Okay. The word is doxa, doesn't matter, but it means, it means glory, okay? So in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, there's a similar word, cabo, but they both mean to be heavy, all right? Both terms convey God's infinite, intrinsic worth, his substance, his essence, and it literally means what evokes good opinion, that is, that something has inherent intrinsic worth. He has worth. He, he always has worth. He has worth. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, be the worth, be the intrinsic weightiness because of your love and faithfulness. And in Revelation 4.11, we see a picture of heaven that Jesus gives John, the disciple, on the island of Patmos. We see this picture in heaven in, in verse 11 of chapter 4. All these beings in heaven are singing, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. Do you notice that? You are what? Worthy. You are worthy. 
This, this idea of worthiness actually travels into Revelation 5 where, where John is seeing this vision and unfortunately there's a scroll, right? He's seeing this vision and it, he sees this scroll and it's unable to be opened and it makes him really sad. There's no one in heaven that can open this scroll, right? Until... Until Jesus enters the scene. Bear with me. Romans chapter five, uh, Revelation chapter 5, right? He says that, then um, it says in verse 5, Then one of the elders, one of the people there in, in, in heaven, said to me, Do not weep. Do not weep. See, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so speaking of this particular person, John says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of, of God, right, who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one, this is worship, right? Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And here is the new song. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, and praise. Oh, here it is here. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is, this is Jesus, the lion of Judah who looks like a lamb that was slain. And he is worthy. He is worthy because of what? Because with his blood, he purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his worthiness. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I don't have it up on the screen, but you're going to turn with me to John's gospel. Speaking of Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us in John chapter 12 and looking at verse 23 onwards. We're good? All right, John chapter 12, verse 23. Has everyone got their Bibles open? Open your Bibles. We're good? All right, verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about himself. To be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. 
and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. See, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he talks about a seed dying and being buried. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you think of something being glorified, you think of being lifted up. But here, Jesus is actually going to be glorified by dying. God is going to be glorified by Jesus dying. Now, in verse 27, it says, Jesus says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason, reason, purpose, reason, I came to this hour, says Jesus. Father, he says in verse 28, glorify your name. Jesus was about to go to the cross, and in so doing, he was going to glorify the Father. He was actually going to show the weightiness of who God really is. The glory of God was going to be displayed on a cross. So then a voice came from heaven and responded to Jesus' prayer in verse 28b, says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. That is his name. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world, says Jesus. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But get this, verse 32, this is the, this is the one, right? Remember this. But Jesus says, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. At the time for him to glorify God and for him to be glorified was the time that he was going to be lifted up on a cross. And it's really great use of words here that John uses is because when he says lifted up, it's the same word for exalted. And, it, and it's so beautiful because what, what the cross shows us, the cross shows us who God really is. The cross shows us that God is so worthy of all praise. And the cross shows us that Jesus is the only one worthy to open the scroll in heaven and to invite each one of us and all of our friends, all of our unsaved relatives, all of those that are living outside of the design and identity that God gives us in Christ. He gives us that wonderful privilege to share that with others and to be in that relationship with him, responding to all that he has done for us. But how do we do that? Do we do that with songs? Do we do that with a guitar? Do we have to use our mouths? Let me help you out with this. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah. What, what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Right? Do it all for the glory of God. Now, the context of that verse is love in the church. Making sure that we're not making anyone stumble around us because of our freedom in Christ in certain things. But that's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? You don't have to, it's just whatever you do, glorify God. Whatever you do, what, whatever you do, praise him. Whatever you do, properly acknowledge what he deserves. Give him 
the glory. In other words, when you go to work tomorrow, when you brush your teeth in the morning, when you lose, when you lose a loved one, when there's pain, when things don't go your way, when things go your way, when you're driving your car, when you're bored, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're at the shops, when you've got a list of things that you just don't know you're going to get through. Somehow, in all of the mundane of our lives, we have to figure out, how am I going to bring a fitting acknowledgement of who God is in this situation? In other words, just realizing who he is and knowing that he's with you and that he loves you. So to glorify God is not to make so much God bigger than he already is, but it's to make your realization of him bigger. So in everything, we glorify God, not just as a church, not just in the ministries, but in our own relationships too, in our own lives too. We acknowledge who he is. We give him fitting response and we do it enthusiastically because we've been created for that. We've been created to respond to all that God has done for us. I want to encourage you guys to do that this week, but do that knowing that you don't have to actually strive to do it. It can just come naturally. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that we all have the opportunity to praise you. And it's not something that a personality can do or a temperament or musical instruments or skill can do. It's a heart that responds to all that you have done for us. And I thank you, Lord, that you've created each one of us to praise you. And you've given us Jesus. You've showed us what it means to have meaning and purpose in life. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us to praise you in whatever we do. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you tonight as living sacrifices, living people, living our regular lives. Not much special going on, but you are with us. And so, Lord, help us to honour you and to bring you all the credit and to give you all the credit in all that we do and say this week and all that we think in our quiet time, in our boredom, in our busyness, Lord, in our frustrations, in our joy. Lord, we help us, help us by your Holy Spirit to bring you all the glory and honour. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.